This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. All right, Team Buck, welcome to Hour 3 in the Freedom Hut. Great to have you. We've got our friend Mark Krikorian on the line now. He is the Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies and a nationally recognized expert on immigration issues. Mark, great to have you. Thanks for having me. Uh, we got a lot to talk a lot to talk about. I'm sure you're a very busy guy today. Uh, first, Trump, Trump is saying the wall is going to get built. Before we get to the impact of the wall on illegal immigration. Tell me just about how doable is building the wall? Is this something that if, if Trump says we're going to do this, can he actually do this? Well, sure. Yeah, of course he can do it. Um, you know, it depends what you mean, of course, by the wall, how much, how much of the border. He himself has said you don't need it over all 2,000 miles because of the terrain. But the answer is sure. I mean, we have some pretty good fencing along some parts of the border, So buttressing that with more, maybe having actual like a second level behind the original fence that's an actual, you know, concrete wall, for instance, is one thing they might do. So the the answer is, yes, it's absolutely uh, feasible. And I'm certain that some substantial amount of it will, in fact, get built. What do you think about those who make the argument that the wall, that it's all about visa overstays now anyway, the wall doesn't make a difference, it's a waste of time, and it's un-American. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, that's several different arguments. I mean, as far as uh, the un-American part's ridiculous, we can do anything we want to to defend our country. There is a germ of truth in the first point that um, visa overstays and, and job and limiting access to jobs is probably more important at this point than the wall, or at least you get more bang for the buck. That, and I've made that argument myself. That having been said, you do in fact need to improve our uh, controls at the border. And there's another thing that's sort of intangible is that the reason the idea of the wall resonates with so, much peop- so many people is that it's a concrete, you'll pardon the pun, a concrete expression of U.S. sovereignty, that this is really a departure from the kind of globalist anti-border nonsense that both parties have been pushing for a long time now. So, and that's important to make that clear, to set down that marker, uh, even if the argument, you know, even if the argument's right that it's not going to do much, and that's not correct either, in my opinion. And sanctuary cities also on the docket for the Donald to tackle. What can he do there? Assuming he follows through, and it's looking like he will, how does he put pressure on sanctuary cities to uh, help uh, help enforce federal immigration law? First thing they do is they tell all the sanctuary cities, and there's a lot of them, not all big ones. They tell them, look, cooperating with immigration is not an optional thing that you get to pick and choose. You're, you're required to do this because immigration enforcement is our job. And we will make sure that if you do cooperate, the ACLU will not have grounds to sue you. Because a lot of them are, a lot of these smaller places are so-called sanctuary cities because 
they're afraid of being sued by the ACLU. So right there, making that clear, most sanctuary cities will say, okay, okay, we'll work with you. The problem is going to be the bigger cities, the L.A., New York, Chicago, those kind of places. And so the first thing he's going to do is cut off certain federal grant programs so they lose millions of dollars. Those cities have already said, who cares? It's more important for us to protect illegal aliens than to protect our own taxpayers. So the question is, what does he do after that? And there's, you know, this is going to be a you know, year or two-year-long two process. Uh, they're going to they're probably going to have to sue some of these jurisdictions. And then the kind of nuclear option is that if they find a jurisdiction that's just really completely ridiculously over the top, they could prosecute them criminally for harboring illegal aliens, which is a federal felony. Interesting that there's this conception out there that localities, municipalities, cities don't have to don't have to abide by federal immigration law. That is a widespread notion. Not only are you telling me that's false, but there can be criminal sanctions for large scale flouting of immigration law by the I would assume that would have to be some of the officials in these cities. Right. City council, the mayor, whoever the responsible person is that makes the decision. And look, it's important to understand what a sanctuary city is. You're not a sanctuary city, or let me put it this way, the Immigration Service does not ask local cops to go walk in the streets asking for people's green cards. They don't even want you to do that. What, the, what they want is when a cop or sheriff's deputy whatever arrests somebody and they book somebody in, they scan their fingerprints, you're arrested, those fingerprints now go to Homeland Security as well as to the FBI. So if the fingerprint gets, is a hit on their computer system and they say, look at this, hey, we wanted this guy, we didn't know where he, where he was, the East Oshkosh Police Department just got him, send, they, they send a note to them and say, hey, if you guys aren't going to prosecute this guy, or as soon as you're done with him, please hold on to him for, uh, for us for 48 hours, we're going to come and get him. A sanctuary city gets that request and then says, nah, we're just going to let him go. That's what a sanctuary city is, defying, openly, consciously defying federal law and that's just inexcusable now this claim that's out there with the trump administration of three to five million illegals voting i know that you uh, you specialize in immigration issues and, and we're talking the border but what is your sense of this number or the investigation into illegals voting because that's really where this would be coming from illegals voting in large numbers uh, where do you come down on this is yeah, there I mean, some this, reason to believe that that is happening yeah this is not our area so but we do know a little bit about this and the the, in, the way i understand it is this first of all the number is almost certainly exaggerated it's not three to five million illegal votes but it is some significant number of illegal votes i mean it's not there was a study of the 2012 election that found more than one million people voting who shouldn't have. So it's not nothing, but clearly this three to five million is exaggeration. But the other point that's important is it's not necessarily illegal aliens voting, because remember, the people who aren't allowed to vote are non-citizens in general, most of whom are legal non-citizens, people with green cards. And I think most of the illegal voting is probably legal immigrants who actually think they're allowed to vote. Because they go to the DMV, look, these guys aren't political science majors, they're just regular folks, construction workers and stuff. They go to the DMV, the DMV gives them paperwork for their license, and on there is a voter registration form. 
And it's like, oh, well, I guess I'm allowed to vote. It doesn't seem like it, but the American government just gave me a piece of paper, so I'll sign up for it. So my sense is the problem here is not so much a conspiracy among immigrants to vote illegally. It's an unwillingness on our part to make clear who is and is not allowed to vote. That's why all this voter ID stuff and checking, you know, proving your citizenship when you register to vote, as some states try to do. That's why there's so much opposition to that, because the Democrats, frankly, want people to vote illegally, even though most of them are probably doing it unwittingly and wouldn't do it if somebody said, no, you're not allowed to do this. So if there's an investigation by the Trump administration, it sounds like you think they're, they're going to find something. It's I agree with you, three to five million is too many, but it's, it's not zero. <laughs> that much, oh, it's, it's not zero illegal right. voting. That much is yeah. for sure. And I think no a lot right. of the press likes to pre- go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. They're going to find something. And it's not like they're going to find four people in the whole country, which is basically nothing, too. They're going to find thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who shouldn't have voted who did. And that's a pretty important thing, it seems to me. How do you think Trump's doing so far with with immigration? I know he's only been in office a few days, but he's taking some actions. What are your expectations? Well, I mean, it's pretty good so far, but with one big hole, in my opinion, I've been kind of making a fuss about it for a couple days, is that he had pledged uh, over and over again to end Obama's illegal, unconstitutional order to give amnesty to um, what they call the dreamers, illegal immigrants who came as kids. Uh, And, you know, he didn't do it right away. And in fact, the Immigration Service is continuing to issue work permits to these illegal immigrants. And so that's, in my opinion, kind of a problem. uh, Everything else, though, they, they seem to be jumping on this issue of the wall and the sanctuary cities and everything pretty quickly. So, um, you know, generally speaking, I'm pretty pleased with that one proviso that I'm just not sure why they're holding back on this, what they call DACA. That's the abbreviation for Obama's illegal amnesty program. We're speaking to Mark Hikori, and he's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Mark, up on your website, cis.org, I see you've got some new immigration research here that deportations last year hit a 10-year low. I'm not, I'm not supposed to believe, and I know you're certainly not making this case, but we're not supposed to believe that this is coincidental, right? The last year of Obama's presidency, all of a sudden deportations fall off a cliff. What happened? Well, they've been dropping for a number of years. See, what happened is for 20, almost 20 years under Clinton and then Bush, there was a steady increase in deportations. And both of them, both Republican and Democrat administrations, they weren't great on immigration, but at least they were investing the money in the infrastructure to be able to deport increasing numbers of illegal aliens, mostly criminals, but just generally illegal aliens. Well, when Obama took over, that increase, that steady two-decade-long increase stopped. But it didn't drop right away because Obama was trying to show how tough he was on enforcement, that he was reliable, and the point of that was to try to get an amnesty bill through. When that failed, remember that Gang of Eight bill from, what was it now, four years ago, didn't uh, pass the Senate, but it failed in the House, didn't become law, Obama could stop pretending. And so that when that bill failed, um, deportations of illegal immigrants inside the country basically just dropped off a cliff. Trump has said that he's going to focus on 
criminals or people who commit criminal acts in addition to their the criminality of their status, uh, that people that are a, th- a threat, uh, violent crime, uh, th- those sorts of things are going to be prioritized for deportation. To those who claim, and certainly, Mark, I'm sure you've seen this, that illegal immigrants, I always hear, commit fewer crimes than native-born Americans, uh, that this is an overstated problem. What what number? Uh, what are the numbers you can give us to, uh, to give us a sense of how serious the problem of illegal, alien, dangerous criminality really is in this country? Well, let me give you a number, and that number is one, because one crime by an illegal immigrant who isn't supposed to be here is one crime too many. The idea of saying, comparing the crime rate of illegal immigrants to those who are here legally or U.S. citizens is simply irrelevant because it doesn't matter. Now, there, the, the fact is it's a lot more than one. Illegal immigrants are people like any others. Some are good, some are bad, some are criminals, some aren't. The fact is there are significant levels of criminality among illegal immigrants, and it doesn't matter what the rate is because every one of those guys should be, should be removed and, frankly, shouldn't have been here in the first place. There's been plenty of outrageous crimes. That poor girl in San Francisco who was killed several years ago, uh, Kate Steinle, and there's you know, the story after story like this. In fact, I think several of the uh, parents of people killed by illegal aliens are going to be at the event uh, in, at the Homeland Security Department where President Trump is going to be signing these executive orders. Um, but, you know, an important point here, Obama said the same kind of thing as you just described Trump saying, that, you know, we're focusing on the worst of the worst and criminals and what have you. And any law enforcement agency is obviously going to focus on the worst offenders that you want to, you know, even if you're just a traffic cop, if somebody's driving by a school 100 miles an hour and shooting a gun out the window, that's what you're going to do. You're going to ignore everything else. But the fact is, that's not all law enforcement does. And under Obama, pretty much the only thing they did was go after rapists and murderers. But what I'm hoping to see, and I'm pretty sure I am going to see under Trump, is they're going to do both the worst of the worst guys they're going to go after, but also have routine enforcement at the same time of just regular people who happen to be illegal aliens. If they raid a factory or raid a restaurant or whatever it is, those folks are also always liable to be deported, um, even though they're going to be lower priority. Under Obama, those people were basically had a free pass, and the government openly told them, don't worry about it. We're not even going to bother looking for you. Mark Kikorian is the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Go to CIS.org to read all their research. Mark, thank you so much. Great to have you and uh, appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Buck. Uh, team phone lines open 888-900-3393. We will be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. All right, Team Buck, we've got some calls up. Peter in Texas, welcome to the Freedom Hut. What's up, my man? 
Hey, how you doing? Was calling about the uh, the pit bull issue. I've owned a couple in my day, and wanted to say that in my experience, they have been two of the the best dogs I've ever had or ever met. Um, I like to say that they were dolphin smart. Um, however, I had to train them every day. I had to walk them every day. I had to, you know, make sure that they got their energy out every day to ensure that they were you know, calm in front of other people and everything like that. So I will say as a dog lover, they are the best dogs you can own, but they're not for the faint of heart. And they're, you know, they're not for somebody who doesn't want to put a little work into them. So there's a responsibility that you, even as someone who loves pits, they're a big responsibility. Absolutely. You got to, they are, they are loyal to you, but you got to show them enough love to where they'll be loyal to other people as well. All right. Kind of like your, uh, caller said earlier they're they're kind of good with people they're a little aggressive towards other dogs but as long as you are that alpha they'll be good to everybody yeah. it's funny you know, miss miss molly has a pit bull uh my girlfriend so interesting that she her family they, they have a pit I, and it's i've met the, I've met the pit it's very sweet so pit. yeah they're the yeah. best dogs my fiance and dogs once ours uh we rescue dogs and once ours kind of they're old and they're going to start going and our next one's going to be a rescue pit because they are the best. All right, man. Thank you very much. Uh, Shields high, Peter. Thanks for calling us from Texas. High, buddy. Have a good ben, day. you too. Ben in Pennsylvania. You're on the Buck Sexton show. Hi, Buck. Thanks for taking my call. Shields high, sir. Shields high. Um, so my, my question to you is about the media. Um, <clears throat> I, um, just real quick. So I, I, I come, I, I live in South central Pennsylvania. It's a very conservative area. Um, however, I come from a family of mostly liberals. Um, I'm proud to say I'm not one. Um, but most of my family is, and I was having a, a conversation with my father, um, recently, um, just talking about, you know, different news outlets. Um, I, I'm a proud member of team buck. I listen to you every day on my way to school. Um, thank you, sir. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you know, my dad, um, who is a liberal, um, but he made an interesting comment to me. He said, he believes even in his eyes that the, the most honest, uh, news anchors and news outlets, um, are, are moderate conservatives. Um, and, and we were talking, you know, and, and I, I you know, I, I raised the issue about moderate liberals. My question to you is, do you believe that there is such a thing as a moderate liberal, because frankly, I said, I don't think there is such a thing. Um, I, I think it's, that, an ex- you know, it's an excellent question, Ben. Uh, th- there is such a thing, but perhaps what you're reacting to is that moderate liberals have been overshadowed, pushed aside. And I think in many ways, uh, purged from the Democratic Party uh, there. When you look at who, who runs the Democratic Party today, uh, you look at the Obamas. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Chuck Schumer. Uh, these are not people that find common ground with Republicans on, on really anything. And certainly right. on the media side, uh, I would agree that a lot of the, uh, the the anchors that you can trust to at least play it straight as anchors are center right to right, uh, because on the left, they they view they just view everything through this lens of, well, it's not that I need to be neutral it's that the moral position is to be left, right? So, so they can't help themselves. Right. The bias is is, is implicit. Uh, they're going to talk sure, about implicit sure. bias training. Yeah. Well, so no, that's that's. Yeah. Uh, but there are very few prominent 
uh, Democrats who are centrists and find common ground with Republicans in the Democratic Party. So I think you're picking up on that. The Buck Sexton yeah, well, Show you know, on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, as you know, I'm in for Rush Limbaugh this Friday on the EIB. So 600 radio stations across the country, millions of listeners, always going to be a good time. But that means that our Freestyle Friday for this Friday is spread throughout the week. And we have a guest who would usually be a Freestyle Friday guest, but he's just making Wednesday awesome. Colin Fallenweeder. He has started more Hollywood blockbusters than your favorite A-lister, but you've never seen his face. He's built a career performing the stunts too dangerous for actors and is paid to make the actions of film heroes a reality, making him Hollywood's most in-demand stuntman. He's been in dozens of major motion pictures, including Terminator, Die Hard, X-Men, Transformers, Avatar, Spider-Man. I can't even keep up with all of them. And we've got him now. Uh, Colin, thank you for calling in. Hey, you got it. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, How does one become a Hollywood stuntman? Let's just start there. Um, well, there's a, a, a lot of different ways, but, uh, but for me, I grew up a, a gymnast, competed in high school and college, and, um, and I actually had always dreamed about being a stuntman. Um, I used to practice falling down my stairs to my bedroom in, in high school, just, you know, just for fun, but growing up in Colorado, there was no real way to, to pursue that. So um, later on in life, I saw like a stunt training workshop that I went to. Um, I used to work for a company called Cirque du Soleil in Vegas, uh, and then just started auditioning and performing and training. And then, uh, after, after working at Cirque, I moved down to LA to, uh, to pursue in LA and I just kept, kept training, kept training fights, kept training sword work, kept training cars and, and you just kind of start from your, your base talent and then build from there. So you did martial arts training on top of gymnastic stuntman training? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, uh, if it's like a, like a full on martial arts, like big kicks, tricking kind of fight, um, I'm, I'm not the guy, but, um, a, a friend of mine who I used to work for, he, he calls it Hollywood food. Like I, I've done enough training. Um, I did Taekwondo a bit. Um, I did Krav Maga a bit. I did Boston a bit. Um, and, and it's really, uh, about being able to adapt your, your training and your style to the style of the film. Like if you're doing a like a barroom brawl, then you got to be throwing punches like you know like a, a drunken cowboy. Um, but if it's a little bit more, uh, um, a little bit more intense, a little more martial arts, then you got to you know turn turn into quick hands and, and powerful stances and stuff like that. So it's really, I'm I'm good. Uh, I feel like I'm good at adapting my skills to uh, to fit the style of the film. What is the most crazy stunt that you've ever had to pull? What was the movie and what was the scene? Um, I, I think, uh, in, in, in reminiscing about, about that stuff, I, I feel like the, Oh, you can give me, you can give me a couple or just the first one that comes to mind, but okay. I, I'm seeing the movie list here uh, and there's some, there's some bonkers stuff that I'm sure you've had to get into. Uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, I think, uh, just, um, uh, Transformers, uh, double Shia LaBeouf on Transformers, Dark to the Moon. And, uh, and that's, that's just crazy. Because you're just uh, you're running to and from invisible robots and real explosions, um, and so just making it through that. Of course, they try to be as safe as you can, you know. But it still still feels like a war zone. But uh, I think the, the coolest stunt and the, one of the scariest was a, a stunt that I did 
on the losers. Um, I doubled Chris Evans and uh, on that, but on this one stunt, I was doubling the lead, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, <clears throat> and he's uh, on top of a shipping crane, and the bad guy throws this this switch off of off of the end, and uh, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character jumps after it and saves the day. So um, we're about 150 feet up, and uh, there's a cameraman who's following me too. So we both jump off. But we're, we're connected to wires, um, so as opposed to doing 150 feet into the water, um, we free fall most of the way, and then like the last 20 feet, uh, we have a thing called a, a descender, and, uh, and then it, it stops you in a pretty rapid, uh, rapid motion, and, and it stops you before you, you actually hit the water. But uh, I just remember standing up there, uh, just kind of looking off the edge, and, uh, I mean, I've seen the test, all the tests. We did tests with the weight bag. But uh, once they say action, it's like, all right, well, I'm just going. There's, like, no time to think. And, uh, and it have was you ever, so fun doing um, them. I was going to ask you if, if you've ever had a stunt that was set up and you were like, you know what, guys, we, we got to rethink this. <laughs> this is too much. Um, yeah, there's, there's time. Uh, fortunately, um, a lot of the times we get, we get rehearsals. And so in the rehearsals, you try to figure out the best way and the safest way to do things. Um, like we, we do try to be as safe as possible. Um, but in the end, you know, you're still like, if you're still falling downstairs, you're still getting hit by a car, you're still getting set on fire and you know, there's all protocol for that stuff, but, but there is still that, but, um, we do try to stay safe, but, um, I, I have been fortunate that I, I got to ask you about epic done. wipeouts, Colin. Have you ever have you ever had an epic oh, yeah. wipeout? I mean, have you ever had a, a really rough one? Um, I've been pretty fortunate. Uh, I know some of my friends have had some has had some bad ones, but uh, um, I, I've been pretty fortunate with with stuff. I've never uh, I got hospitalized once, uh, bounced my head off the ground, got, got a concussion. Um, but other than that, I'm pretty good. Although I got to tell you, it's kind of kind of masochistic but like when you're doing a fight scene and uh and even though we have pads when we can you know and then you see like the bruises from the fight scene it, it almost makes you feel good it's like i did my job like i, I this is why i'm here i did my job and the, and the bruises kind of tell that story are there any actors still left you know there used to be that old joke people would say well you know i do all my own stunts right and people would say that and usually they were they were kind of mocking the the actor prototype for hollywood is there anyone in this right. uh, on the scene today who's a known a known commodity who truly does do all of his or her own stunts? Um, I uh, I believe Tom Cruise is that guy. Um, really? I've had uh, a couple of my friends who have have doubled them uh, throughout the years, and and really they they they'll go in, they'll set it up, um, but he is such a such a pro and such an athlete that. When he says he does all his own stunts, he he definitely does, and um, it's uh it's actually pretty pretty impressive because you know if he didn't make a career as as being a you know one of the world leading actors, he could have been probably one of the best stunt guys out there. Wow, that's interesting. I I, I had no idea. Uh, action movies. We have Action Movie Friday on the show where people call in with a quote from an action movie, and I have to see if I can name it on the spot. Uh -huh. Just wondering, Colin, because you're uh -huh. you're a guy who does a lot of action in these movies. If I'm asking you for your, your, your top three all-time action flicks, what do you got for us? Um, I would say uh, Matrix 
is my favorite. Um, and because I, I always believe that good stunts never make up for bad story. So if you have a bad story and then you have some amazing stunts, it's like, oh, that's an okay movie. But Matrix, that story was so well thought out, so well um, filmed, so well acted. And then the level of stunt work in there was just phenomenal. So it really like heightened, um, for me, heightened the experience of watching the movie. Like, it's such a complete movie. Uh, so I would definitely say uh, Matrix is my favorite. Um, even though it's not necessarily like an action film, uh, I love Princess Bride. Um, these They have okay. some really fun sword fights in there and some... You know, it's just it's such a classic movie, and you don't think of it as an action film, but uh, but it but really again, it's it's such a good story, and the stunts in there um, heighten that. Um, and then, uh, I don't know. Sorry, are you giving us a couple? I see you have Die Hard on the list of movies that you've performed. Do you perform in the original? No, not the original Die Hard, right? No, no. Um, it was a uh, Live Free or Die Hard. Uh, Die Hard 4. I actually doubled um, Justin Long in that for a couple things, and then also there was a uh, uh, guy named Sarah Raffaelli. Um, he's one of the the four uh, forefathers of the parkour movement, and um, and I, so I doubled him uh, in like there's a scene when he's jumping around and and uh, and he gets killed, and uh, and so I was there helping set up the stunt. Um, he did about half of them. I did the other half, and. Uh, yeah, so that was fun. Very yeah, cool. Literary Die Hard is such such like such an iconic uh, series to be part of. Like I, I feel so honored that um that I look back because you know the first Die Hard movie was, was so amazing. There's been nothing else like it. Well, if I ever become actually famous, Colin, maybe one day they'll make a movie <laughs> and you can be my double, which would include a lot of sitting at desks and doing research on computers. <laughs> Uh, occasionally drinking tequila at night, so I'm sure you could handle all that. But we really, hey, man, we really appreciate you joining. Is there a website or some social media platforms you want to direct people to to see your work? Uh, um, mostly just uh, IMDb. Um, yeah, it just has a a, a list of uh, of just the the films. IMDb.com, Colin Fallenwater. Well, what's uh, the next film you're in that's coming out where you've done some work? Um, I did. Um, a movie. I actually coordinated a movie, a stunt coordinated movie in South Africa, South, South Africa in Cape Town, called Twenty Four Hours to Live, and it's a Ethan Hawke is a lead, um, and that was phenomenal experience. And and that movie should be coming in around September, I believe the releases. Um, so All that'd right, be like the next the next big thing. Eagerly anticipated, Colin Fallenweeder. Am I getting your name right? That's close. Uh, Fallen wider, but I'm not picking. Fallen wider. All right. I was close. Colin Fallen wider. I'm glad we got that right the last time. Thank you very much, sir. Great to have you. Stay safe. Keep doing cool stuff. And team, we'll be right back. Thank you so much. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Very interesting. The Daily Caller here cites one of the... Uh, one of the possible studies that the Trump administration was referring to with this claim of non-citizens voting. Very important. We talked to Mark Krikorian about this. And as you heard before, it's not necessarily illegal aliens who are voting. Oh, that's possible, too. But it's per- it could be permanent residents, green card holders who don't have citizenship but can stay here legally uh, forever. And they may be voting. And according, according to this piece in The Daily Caller, 
Facebook.com. Somewhere between 38,000 and almost 2.8 million non-citizens voted in the 2008 election, according to a study published in Electoral Studies Journal in 2014. It's a couple of professors from Old Dominion University. They said that some non-citizens participate in U.S. elections, and this participation has been large enough to change meaningful election outcomes, including electoral college votes and congressional elections. I just have to say, if our precious system of government is so uh, fragile that the left is going to advocate on the one side that some unflattering email stolen from a member of Hillary Clinton's inner circle that are published changed the voting uh, the, the voting pattern in Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania or any number of other states. And so there must be a bipartisan congressional investigation into this. And it's all about national security and our fundamental fundamental democratic principles. If all of that is true, then isn't it also true that we should be willing to look into in a bipartisan fashion for the purposes of sustaining our system of government and making sure that we have the freest and fairest elections possible? Isn't this something we should look into? Well, let's disprove if it's if it's not 2.8 million. And let's just also be clear. They say that the authors of this study said that the number of non-citizen voters in 2008 range from over 38,000 to at the minimum to 2.8 million, 2.8 million at the maximum. This is what I said to you when we started. I'm sure there are in the tens of thousands of voters who shouldn't vote just based on the numbers. And we should try to address that as best we can. I don't know if it's two or three million. I know Trump said at the absolute uh, outer edge was five million. But this isn't worth our time. When you think about what the government does spend money and time on, I would offer to you that elections and the sanctity of one person, pardon me, one citizen, one vote should be. Again, one of those issues that receives bipartisan support that we should all be willing to do what is necessary to protect the integrity of our electoral process. This seems to me to be pretty straightforward. I I don't really see why there's such a uh, such difficulty here. Um, Why do the Democrats seem to hate the notion of finding out who's on the rolls that shouldn't be on the rolls? This could this could be a very big issue uh, if, if, if they're able to really prove that even let's say it's what, what happens if we find out that 100,000 people voted in this last election who shouldn't have voted, which isn't an unthinkable number. And we found that, as Mark said before, from the Center for Immigration Studies, it's primarily people that weren't even operating in bad faith. Wouldn't wouldn't that change the whole discussion over voter ID and all of that? would be framed in a different way and one that would not be favorable to the Democrats who view non-citizens as a source of support because non-citizens are more likely to need state support and more likely to view a large government with many assistance and welfare programs as in their as in their interest. And also as the Democratic Party has become effectively an open borders party in all but name. Right. They, they want to regulate the inflow of everybody into the country, but everybody can come based on the Democrats' belief. All right, I'm, I'm running out of time. We'll have to hit more of this tomorrow. 
Uh, I am here tomorrow in the Freedom Hut of at the usual time. Friday, I'm in for Rush, 12 to 3 on the EIB. And so until tomorrow, my friends, when we'll do sort of a freestyle Thursday mixed with a normal Thursday, Shields High. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.